You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. All right, well, you made it here, and whether you know it or not, you have already voted this morning. A friend of mine uh, several years ago said that people vote with their feet, and the fact that you're here this morning, you've already voted, and I want to say thank you for joining us today. And I want to encourage you that we are launching a new series called I Vote For, and we want you here throughout the fall, week in and week out, make it a priority. Now, if you made it here and you were thinking that today was a series launched about politics, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, somehow you missed the taglines, uh, the Facebook posts, you didn't read deep enough, the postcard, you didn't see the fruit of the spirit on there. Um, and it's not a series on politics, but I do want to start this series with a few thoughts about politics and the state of far too many Americans. So, um, I just want to acknowledge that I have been known to say that I don't have a political bone in my body. And I just want to say that that is not true. And I'm going to try not to say that moving forward. I do vote and I do care about some of the issues around politics. In fact, in 1996, it was my first opportunity to vote in a presidential election, and I voted. In 2000 and 2004, I voted. And then we moved here to West Michigan in 2006, and so 2008, 12, 16, and 20. That's seven cycles I have I'm getting old, but uh, I have voted in the presidential elections, and yes, I am a voter, but truth be told, if you didn't know, I'm not super passionate when it comes to politics. I'm not a debater. In fact, one of uh, the things that I have hung on to in the early 2010s uh, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, a pastor, encouraged me that as a pastor, I should be more apolitical, and especially in the pulpit, to be more apolitical. And if you don't know what apolitical means, sometimes it means apathy towards all political affiliations. And I would say, no, that's not what this is talking about. Or even uninterested or uninvolved in politics, maybe that's a little closer. But the definition of apolitical that makes sense to me is when someone takes an unbiased position in regards to political matters. And that's really been my goal over the last 12, 13 years. And you say, well, why would you take such a stand? And I just want to say it's simply because I have friends and family members that don't know Jesus that see the world different than I do. And I care about them. And I want to reach them with the gospel. And I would hate for my political views 
or my anything to get in the way. And I pray that that's your heart as well. And so anyway, that's been my, my bias uh, over the past several years. And when it comes to politics, I know, I don't know if you like to vote, if you don't like to vote, uh, but that's too bad. This morning, I want to take a little vote. And I know you've already voted with your feet, and you're going to vote later for your favorite snack for next week, if you haven't already. Uh, but today, would you indulge me? And I want to vote, and I'm wondering... How many of you believe that politics have become ugly? If you believe that, with a yes, just raise your hand, all right? Okay, all right, put your hands down. Is there anyone that would say no, that you don't think politics has become ugly? If you're raising your hand, you're wrong. Just kidding. Uh, But let me just say, politics seems to have become ugly, and for me, In the last two presidential elections cycles, I have self-diagnosed myself with PTSD. Yes, post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's not to slight anyone that actually has that disorder, but it has caused trouble and grief for me, not only for our church and for just my friends. It's just, I have sensed over the last eight years, people inside the church and outside of the church behaving badly when it comes to politics. They've got loud and opinionated and rude and ugly and, dare I say, ungodly. We've all seen this, haven't we? A friend of mine this week, I was talking about this idea and telling him about the series, and he's a lawyer or was a lawyer. He's retired now. He says, separation of church and state was intended to protect the state from the church and protect the church from the state. I thought it was an interesting perspective. And earlier this year, the Lord put it on my heart, early spring, that, man, what could we do in a non-election year, a a presidential election year, to get ahead of maybe some of the ugly And the Lord dropped the idea of preaching the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that it's timely, and it's going to be a powerful series over this fall. But it's interesting that I'm not the only one who has noticed this bad behavior. In The Atlantic, just three weeks ago, there was an article of why Americans are so awful to one another. The actual title of the article was, How America Got Mean. You can look it up by David Brooks. And this guy, David Brooks, has been on a journey for eight years, he talks about, obsessed with two questions, and he's done a lot of writing around it. The first question is why Americans have become so sad. And he talks about it in the article for just a a short little bit. He talks about rates of depression, rising despair due to drugs and alcohol and suicide. He talks about the lack of people having close friends. He says over 50% say no one knows them well. That's a tragedy. High school students, Pastor Sean, and I know we got students here. He, He said that there's a persistent feeling of sadness and hopelessness has shot up from 26% among students in 2009 to 44% in 2021. I went to youth group this last Wednesday night, and by the way, we've got an incredible youth pastor. He's talking about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights this season, and it's it's been awesome. But Pastor Sean, I was thinking about that statistic. I, I don't know how many students we had, just full, the altar was full, but 
every other student, statistically, is feeling hopeless or sad. That's one of his primary things David Brooks has studied. The other thing over the last year, uh, eight years, was why Americans have become so mean. And he goes on in this article to talk about restaurant owners throwing people out who they've never had to do it before because guests are so belligerent. Hospital nurses leaving the industry because patients are become abusive. Hate crimes, murder rates, trust, uh, social trust plummeting. In the article, it uses words like conspiracy and polarization and mass shooting and trauma and safe places. And he speaks about the rise of hatred and anxiety and despair. You say, why? Why is this? Why has America got so mean? And he identifies a few things that are part of the story. Technology. We get so caught up in technology, it's causing trouble. Sociology. They're isolated. When we get isolated, we get mean. He talks about race and how that has happened, how we become, we're becoming more and more of a melting pot, and it's causing trouble. And even the economy, insecurities, economic economically cause people to behave badly. But when he boiled it all down after his intro, in the next 30 pages or so, maybe 28 pages or so in the article, he talks about the real reason in his mind is a lack of moral foundation, formation. In fact, he uses a picture of America broken in broken glass pieces. And I thought, man, that's an interesting way to look at it. As I read this article and tried to absorb it, I agree with a lot of what was said. And part of Brooks' conclusion, although he didn't specifically talk about the Bible, I believe is that Americans have walked away from some very basic biblical principles. Ideologies like the golden rule. The golden rule is not whoever has the gold makes the rules. No, it's do unto others, and, say it with me, as you would have them do unto you. Taking God's word out of the schools and out of business in different areas, out of, out of the government, has caused us to behave badly. So we want to return to God's word. God's word is our source as believers. We value that uh, highly. And it's interesting, there's a passage of, in Scripture that describes in detail what is happening to the United States and maybe even globally. There are two forces working in opposition. And at the end of this passage, there's a clear call to action. And so I want you to turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and these next few verses are going to be the crux of where we're going to be studying for the fall. And I want to encourage you to take notes, underline in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible today, pick up one of these and take some notes on the back and so you can uh, refer back to some of these things. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it starts off by saying this, So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let's just pause there. How many know that's a great thing? Get out your pens, circle that, underline that, make sure that that is seen in your, uh, in your Bible. Then it says, then you won't 
be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desire that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. And we'll talk about the law of Moses here briefly in just a moment. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the result are very clear. Everyone turn to your neighbor, say, very clear. And he goes on to say they are sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, and I have told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. But, verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces a kind of fruit in our lives. And let's say these together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and their desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Church, I want us this season, this fall, to vote for the fruit of the Spirit. Would you say this with me? I vote for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is attractive. We can't do it on our own. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And yes, it's not a presidential election year. It, this is Holy Spirit prompted, I believe, to get ahead of the ugly that is happening, maybe already, and will come helping people that we love, including ourselves, the people that we're leading to grow in Him, to be aware and to pursue godliness. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's talk about it. The book of Galatians, it's one of the Apostle Paul's letters. He wrote many. Some say that Galatians has some of the strongest wording uh, out of any of his letters. And it's a response to the influence of Jewish convert teachers who insisted that non-Jewish believers must follow the Jewish law in order to receive salvation. Let me explain that. Jews were winning non-Jews. They were coming to Jesus, which is incredible. Any non-Jew is a Gentile. Most of us in this room are probably non-Jews, Gentiles. That would be us. But the Jews were saying, okay, now that you know Jesus, here's a list of rules to follow, 500 rules or more. And Paul was saying, this is not right. Paul is distraught by this influence. He, would, he was thinking it would de be detrimental and undermine the very foundation of salvation. So, Paul writes 
and answers the question, what should a Christian look like? Not what should a Christian know. How many know knowledge puffs up? Not what should they even do, but instead, what should they, who should they be? What kind of character traits should they exhibit? And that will lead to becoming and result in behavior ultimately. And so the book of Galatians, Paul knows, he understands that an ungodly life is one controlled by the sinful nature that every one of us is born with. And so he starts with this list. Galatians 5, 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And just so we're clear, again, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And if your list isn't there, or if, you, if you're like, well, I'm good, he says other things, other sins like it, right? What does it sound like? It sounds like the culture that we live in, doesn't it? And again, he says, these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's this battle of two forces, verse 17 And Paul is encouraging the church, those who belong to Christ, verse 24, they are no longer slaves to their sinful nature. One commentator said that is because when a person accepts Christ as their Savior, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin nature and develop the character of Christ. And the character of Christ, he says, is marked by the fruit of of the Spirit. And so let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Just as a tree is known by its fruit, so spiritual fruit manifests the Holy Spirit's work in God's people through a refinement of our character. And in Paul, or in Galatians, uh, Paul, he comes on strong, but he's very consistent and he does it out of love. And so he not only talks about the evil, but he talks about the good. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, there is no law, no list of rules against these things. I want you to notice something. He calls it this kind of fruit. It's fruit, not fruits. Some of you have already known this, that the fruit of the Spirit is not a bunch of different fruits. It's one fruit being described. And as I think about that, it's kind of fun to think about, but it's not so good because if you were looking at this list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and you're saying, I've got a few of those. I'm doing pretty good. Maybe I've got seven out of nine, right? I lack in two. Listen, if you lack in two, that's your score. (laughs) Not so fun. There's no grading on a curve. We need all of these characteristics, and we can't pick and choose. It's not like a, a, a bruised piece of fruit, a bruised apple or banana. You can cut away a piece, and the rest is still good. No, no, no. It infiltrates all of the other characteristics. So 
We talk about these two forces. This, the, on the one side is the evil, the desires, the de- deeds of the flesh. Those are plural. There's a whole list of those things. They result, in, and we get to choose those things, although we shouldn't. And on the other side is the fruit of the Spirit, which is singular. We cannot pick and choose. And, by the way, they are not listed in uh, sequence in order of importance, other than the fact some commentators believe that love is supreme and listed first, but after that, not so much. I want you to write down Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, may you always be filled with the fruit, singular, of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. What a verse. God desires us to bear good fruit. And there's actually a command to walk in or to walk by the Spirit. We are called to do so. And our flesh is in opposition, but it's our choice. We all can choose to say, you know what? I want my life to reflect that I voted for the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say it again. I vote for the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit listed that we're going to discuss today is the fruit of of love, right? I vote for love. And I would say it's pride in place. It's at the top of the list. Uh, Pastor Bobby this morning, um, he was saying, uh, we were talking about this. He was like, it's kind of like if you have a piece of fruit and it has different notes or different flavor notes, that it's the strongest one that would come out. And I really appreciate Bobby. He can be super helpful when he wants to be. Um, Bobby, I say that only to say I wanted to start the series with the foreigner's song. I want to know what love is. I want you to know me. I want to feel what love is. And I know you can show me. And he said no. And so, like I said, he can be helpful when he wants to be. But we're going to vote for love regardless of what Bobby does. Now, there's two types of love. There's worldly love and godly love. On the worldly side, if you just look up a definition of love, you're going to get definitions that talk about intense feelings, deep affection, great interest, or to like or to enjoy very much. And let me just say, the Apostle Paul would look at a definition like that, and he would say, that falls short It's often give and take, this worldly type of love. These are incomplete. They're superficial. What was on Paul's mind when he wrote about love was the God type of love. Some of you you know what that's called in the Greek. If you know it, say it. Agape. Agape. If you don't know agape, don't feel bad. It's just a fancy way of saying uh, really the essence of John 3.16 uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's the giving of yourself, uh, pure, willful, sacrificial, right? Laying down your life type of love, service, caring, build each other up. There's one um, definition that I kind of locked in on this week. Uh, there's lots when you look up godly love, but I liked this one. It said, love is the willful wholehearted expression that honestly wants what is best for another person. 
That's, that's a big love. That's a love that never fails. You say, how important is that? How, how much of this God love should we have in our lives? Well, listen, there's an entire chapter in the Bible. Some of you know where I'm headed. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Let's look at the first seven verses. It says this, if I can speak in all language of, on earth and of angels, which sounds pretty cool, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, that means speaking for God, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, how incredible would that be? And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And then verse 4, some of you know this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It's not, it does not keep record of wrongs. Of, it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not reject about or rejoice, excuse me, about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, uh, never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. How many of you ever read the love chapter before? I remember as a student when I was uh, in junior high and high school, this was one of those chapters, students, that you got to get your mind around. Guys, especially, I mean, you got you to gotta know the love chapter. If, you, if you're going after those girls, man, you got to know what love is, right? I'm looking at you, brother. Why are you, why are you look, looking at Pastor Sean? It's, listen, it's 1 Corinthians 13 and the Song of Solomon all the way for teenage boys. I mean, and if you... If you don't know what that reference is, you can read Song of Solomon's on your own. But, uh, it, but we often look at this chapter and we say, all right, the love chapter, and, and it's kind of fun to talk about, right? But listen, we should actually look at that list and we should be in awe of that kind of love, love that's patient and kind, not jealous and boastful or proud or rude, and the list goes on. This is what Paul is trying to convey when he's encouraging us to vote for love. Now, I want to just say that when we start to say, all right, I'm going to vote for love, the world around us is not going to understand. They're chasing a different type of love, chasing identity and purpose. They are lost. And don't forget that you were lost once as well. Instead, let's pray, Lord, help us to love Jesus loved, and we should as well. I vote for love. And there are a couple examples of Jesus' love. The first is John 15, 13. It says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. I love that. Another one, you can write down Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Again, describing sacrifice, servanthood, a Jesus type of love. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, Pastor, that is not 
possible, right? I am not Jesus, right? And you are absolutely right. We need the Holy Spirit's help. And let me just show you something. These are not the fruit of our own effort. Come on. It's the fruit of the Spirit at work in us that will help us to live in love, to speak the truth in love, to be vulnerable enough to love, to love deeply. And yes, it is hard. There's an example of a, a man in our church uh, that came to Pastor Sean and me uh, a few, maybe a couple months ago, and, uh, and kind of came to us out of love and had some correction for us. And I think Pastor Sean did it well, just handled it really well. And, uh, and it, it was basically from the pulpit, I had been, when we were dismissing kids, I was saying, hey, see you suckers. And, uh, and, and like kicking the kids out, like, see you later. And it's just kind of fun, kind of whatever. And, uh, and then Pastor Sean yeah, gets up and he's following his leader and he's dismissing the kids and he's like, see you suckers. And, uh, and this guy comes to us and says, hey, there's something in my spirit that just doesn't seem right with that. Do you know what that means? And, and he was right. And we humbled ourselves and said, all right, we're not going to do that. And we haven't since. You say, man, that's kind of hard to love in that kind of way. That's what we're talking about. It's not only hard, it's impossible without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. But if we do this, John 13, 35 says this, if you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love. So how are we going to grow this fall? We're going to grow by voting for love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and I want to tie up this, bring some application. In fact, let me just say, we start with love in every other description, character, trait, we will tie back to love. It's just the way it is. But these applications are not meant to be kept for ourselves, but to share. We, there's a call to action here in Galatians. Take action on behalf of others and hopefully to get ahead of the storm that is already brewing in our culture that it seems so ugly. Yesterday at men's breakfast, I was sharing with, uh, with Nate back in the back, actually. Um, we were talking about, he was asking about my family and about my daughter and what she's doing. And some of you guys know Reagan is working in a, a Muslim context world, um, trying to reach Muslims with Christ. Uh, with the name of Christ. And, uh, and I was saying that in that culture, the, they pray for three encounters. And this is interesting from a mission standpoint. They pray for truth encounters with Muslims, love encounters, and power encounters. And I don't know if, if any of you remember, but the very first Sunday of this year, 
I preached a message about those three things uh, because we, I, we had just been uh, with Reagan, or I had just been with Reagan earlier, just a few weeks earlier, and she had shared those things with me, and it really impacted me. But it's interesting. So every opportunity, they're like, we bring up God's word. And uh, not in a sense like hammering people with God's word, but like, hey, God's word says this, or uh, these are great stories, or you know, using God's word as a tool, and then bringing love into the mix. That's a love encounter. So that could be giving a gift, that could be spending time, that could be a lot of different things, but have praying for love encounters, sharing a meal, those types of things. And then these power encounters. They, in that context, Jesus is revealing himself through visions to Muslims. And we were chatting about that. And I, I left yesterday men's breakfast, and then I was thinking about this morning. And I was like, love is what draws those things together. How many know the truth by itself is not enough, right? I mean, it is enough, but we need it to be covered with love. In a power encounter, you can have an angel visit even, and still deny Christ, but it's the love encounter and the truth. It, it binds it all together. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? We need to be people of love this fall. And it's going to make a difference. It's going to help you. We talk about reaching one more. What if we adopted that truth and love and praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to work? I believe that's what God wants us to do. And it's not easy. It's hard. But we can do it. I'm going to ask everyone to stand right where you are. I've asked uh, Pastor Bobby to close the service uh, in a little different way, it was it kind of called an audible. But the song that we sang earlier, Fear is Not My Future, um, the, the song talks about love, peace, and joy, and hope. But then there's a whole list of things that are being replaced with God. So fear is not my future, you are. Death is not my future, you are. You know, all these things. And I was thinking about it. In 1 John chapter 4, I think it is, it describes God as love. God is love. And what I want us to do is I want us to sing this song with that perspective, that God is love, that all of the things that we're going to be replacing are love. It's love that makes a difference. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the love of Jesus, or if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today is your day of salvation. You can call out on his name. And when you do, let us know. We want to walk with you. We've got tools and we want to help you to grow. But for now, let's close with this song, with that focus of love. Lord, I pray that you just be with us. Help us to continue to grow in your love. In Jesus' name.
Pastor Ben was preaching this morning, he talked about this word in the Greek language that is pronounced agape, and, and we call it love. And, and the unfortunate thing sometimes about English is we have one word where the Greeks use four different words. And, and one of the astounding things about this word agape is that before the first century, this word was hardly ever used. If you look at uh, words of antiquity or letters of antiquity, it wasn't a virtue that people were pursuing. It wasn't anything that people thought was great. And then all of a sudden something happened in the first century. And from that moment on, this word agape, this selfless love, this giving love, this thing that wasn't seen as a virtue, that wasn't widely used anytime earlier, all of a sudden became one of the defining characteristics of the world. And like Pastor Ben said in 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. And a couple verses later, what happened in the first century? It says in 1 John 4, 10, it says, this is love. This is this love that describes God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it's not that we are doing anything in our power or our might to love God, but that God has done so much that he gave his son for us. And so when we leave here being people of sacrificial love, bearing this fruit given and empowered by the spirit, we first need to be people that are impacted by this selfless, giving, sacrificial love if you haven't experienced that today, I'm going to pray this morning and just surrender to God's love. Thank him for the sacrifice that he made for you. Let's just pray, Jesus, we just thank you. Jesus, you took the punishment that we deserve, that it says in scripture that the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And we thank you that we can say death is not the end because you took that punishment upon yourself, that you died the death that we all deserved so that we could have the reward that only you deserve, that we are given eternal life that we don't deserve, that it's not in our might or our power. It's not because we're good people. Lord, so many times we have fallen short. We have put ourselves as enemies against you and your way. And time and time again, you love us, you forgive us, you redeem us, you reconcile us, Lord. And so I pray for anyone here who hasn't experienced that love, who hasn't experienced that forgiveness, who hasn't experienced that reconciliation, Lord, that you would just meet them right now where they are. Lord, that they would surrender themselves fully to you. Lord, and I pray for all of us that maybe it's been a long time since we've remembered, since we've thanked you, since we've realized the gravity of your love, that maybe we're thinking that the way that we define love is the same way that you define love and we've gone so far off the mark, Lord. Let us come back and draw close to you again. Let us lay down our opinions. Let us lay down our sins. Let us lay down everything so that we can pick up our crosses and follow after you, follow your example, follow your way. And we know that as we go, that it says that it is by your spirit, that it is in your spirit, that it is empowered by your presence, that we will go out into a lost, hurting, and broken world. And we thank you that as we do, that you are with us every single step of the way, before us, behind us, 
and all around us. Lord, we thank you that you commission us to be people who represent your love to this world. Let us not do so in vain. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Before you go, got one more thing for you. I would say uh, you should all have an I Voted Today sticker. I'm not wearing it because I already voted. You voted with your feet by being here. We want you to vote one more time as you leave. There's a poster out in the lobby that has four options for your favorite snack. I believe I'm losing. I don't want to lose. How am I getting beat by veggies? I don't know. But as you go, take that sticker off. Vote for your favorite snack, and whoever has the most votes after this service, that is going to be the snack that we have next week between our 9 and our 11 p.m. service. So make sure you're here next week to partake in the snack you're voting for. Go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.